Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Today marks more than a week since Portland Public Schools teachers declared a strike. It is the fifth day of instruction that nearly 43,000 students are missing. Negotiations are ongoing, but there's no sign that the two sides are anywhere close to an agreement. Portland is not alone. Teachers in Salem-Kaiser and Ben Lapine schools are in tense negotiations with their districts these days. California has seen some significant strikes over the last year. A strike in Oakland in the spring lasted for a week and a half, causing students to miss eight days of class. The issues there, over pay and class size and teacher prep time, among other things, are similar enough that we thought it would be valuable to hear what led to to Oakland's strike, how it was resolved, and where the district is now. Jill Tucker is the education reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, and she joins us now. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. So after the union in Oakland called for a strike vote, hundreds of parents signed a petition calling on teachers to stay in school. One of the leaders of the group said, you can support teachers without supporting kids learning being disrupted. Don't use our kids as a bargaining chip. How widespread was that sentiment? You know, it it really depended on uh, the parents' perspective. Um, Socioeconomics came into it. Um, You know, I think a lot of that sentiment, however, was perhaps perhaps amplified with this strike than in previous ones, simply because kids lost a lot of time here uh, during the pandemic. Uh, Schools were closed for a year and a half, and uh, they didn't reopen like other parts of the country. Um, And so uh, really, there was a lot of concern about kids missing more school, and especially at the end of the school year when there's so many events like graduation and prom and AP tests and a lot of those types of things, final exams, you know, the list goes on. And I I think parents were concerned about kids missing some of those iconic moments of their youth um, for yet another uh, uh, school closure. And so there was a lot more sentiment that it in that than than we had seen in the past, for sure. You know, it's interesting to to see that in the context of Portland's strike, because I'm sure that Portland parents feel that way. Some of them do. But I have not seen an organized group urging teachers to remain in schools the way I I saw that when when looking at your reporting. That was in the lead up to the strike. But let's turn to the issues behind the strike. Starting with pay, how far apart were the two sides on pay? Well, initially, you know, they they start pretty far apart and kind of inch closer through bargaining. Um, ultimately, even as they they started to go on strike, um, they were actually not that far apart in pay increases. Um, you know, the, there were some uh, issues related to what the starting pay would be, how much the pay raises would be. Um, and, 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 you know, who would get the most pay raise, whether it's starting teachers or, or long tenure teachers. Um, so there was a lot of debate on that. But ultimately, um, at the higher end where they hit about 22 percent, ultimately, you know, they were pretty close to that, the district and the union um, when they were negotiating. 
Um, you know, there were a lot of other issues that kept them apart um, and ultimately uh, sent them into a strike. Hmm. What were some of those other issues? Yeah, you know, I mean, things that you guys are grappling with, like class size and prep time and, uh, you know, the number of counselors or psychologists or nurses, a lot of these types of things were coming into play. But in Oakland, they really, the union really dug their heels in when it came to these common good items um, that are becoming more and more popular. You're probably hearing a lot more about them. Social justice type issues like black reparation or um, a, a say in school closures or, or, or prevention of school closures or, or other types of environmental issues, um, housing for homeless families, a lot of these things that are not required in the um, uh, bargaining over teacher contracts. And, uh, you know, there's sort of outside issues that may or may not directly affect teachers. So there was a lot of, of um, uh, tension over those issues between the district and the union and in the community as well, whether those types of things should be in a teacher contract or not. Well, how did the administration respond to these various requests overall? Yeah, they basically dug their heels in too and uh, refused to add them to the contract. They said that they did not belong in the contract. They would only uh, bargain over the required items um, in a contract, which are working conditions, pay, benefits, those types of things, and, and said they would not sort of open that Pandora's box and start negotiating all of these other types of social justice issues uh, that the union wanted to include. Did the two sides eventually reach an impasse or exhaust the mediation process? That is what happened here in Portland. Yeah, no, you know, we're seeing a trend down here um, that I think has a lot of folks on edge where they basically, uh, districts are filing unfair labor practices as part of their uh, negotiation process. And instead of following the impasse and fact-finding and and, um, mediation, they're basically circumventing that and saying, we're going to go on strike over these unfair labor practices rather than going on strike because they've reached impasse and all of the other uh, steps for uh, a strike. And and so it, it, it means that they basically can call a strike at any point, and which uh, Oakland did, and they followed Los Angeles's example, and uh, San Francisco got pretty close to that as well. And so it really is a different tactic that we're seeing here in California, uh, that they're sort of skipping the normal steps and really pushing the envelope to uh, a strike. And that's what we saw in Oakland um, really just moving rapidly moving forward in this strike process and uh, voting and striking. Uh, it was a little jarring for a lot of the community, as you might imagine. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about the teachers strike this past spring in Oakland. It lasted for a, about a week and a half. Jill Tucker is the education reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. The strike started on May 4th, which was a Thursday. My understanding is that unlike here in Portland, where school buildings are closed, kids are not going to to schools, in Oakland, kids could actually go into their schools despite the fact that teachers were not there and there was not instruction. So how did it actually work? 
Yeah, so so the district um, said that schools would be open for students for their safety. Um, a lot of families in Oakland, there's a lot of low-income communities, um, working families where they don't have a lot of options. Um, so they were able to send their, their kids to school where the principal would be their other staff that was not part of the union. Um, and they would basically provide a safe, safe space with meals uh, and other activities, you know, learning activities, but not your your normal instruction. Um, not very many kids participated in that. Um, only the families where they really needed an option for childcare um, did they take advantage of that. Uh, but but they were quote unquote open. Hmm. Uh, but the reality was, uh, you know, parents kept their kids home to either support the strike or because you know there wasn't a lot going on in the schools, and so. Um, you really only saw that for the younger kids, uh, the older kids that, you know, don't need uh, child care were high schools were basically just empty. What did you hear from parents or families or caregivers about how they navigated the closure? Yeah, you know, just like uh, in previous strikes, uh, you know, you have things like strike schools where parents will band together and do some educational activities. Um, they had, you know, some pods or child care sharing, um, these types of things. But again, you know, those are those are the types of things that um, often only certain segments of the, the community are able to participate in, um, you know, more privileged families that can arrange these strike schools or, or maybe have a flexible work schedule or not work, um, you know, they're able to do that. It's, it's families where they're working two jobs and don't have the ability to sort of shuttle their kids around or take other kids in their homes. Um, so the strike, you know, the strikes in general, teacher strikes are disproportionately affect certain segments of the population. Um, you know, and, and hit uh, disadvantaged families often harder. And so we definitely saw that here as well. This strike happened near the end of the school year as opposed to, say, in November, like the one here in Portland. How did that affect negotiations? You know, I think it really, uh, to a certain degree, intensified the negotiations because, um, you know, it really was the very end of the school year in May and, you know, last few weeks of school. And there were so many, there are so many activities and memories made and, and requirements. And so I talked to a lot of like high school seniors who were planning on using that time to get their grades up so that they could graduate to finish projects, capstone projects that they had to finish in order to graduate. Um, so there's there a lot going on at the end of the year. So there was definitely a lot of pressure on the district uh, to settle the contract. And, you know, so I think the timing wasn't um, an accident. I think it was um, definitely... Uh, a point to to really put the pressure on the district to and the union essentially to find a, an agreement. Um, it really got parents were really frustrated. Students were really frustrated. Even those that supported the strike and supported uh, either raises and things like that. They, um, you know, it, it was just awful to see these kids who who were pandemic kids. Right? They were greatly affected by the pandemic, feeling like they were missing out on these these moments uh, in their in their high school lives. And um, so it really it really did sort of light a fire to a certain degree as the days ticked off and the end of the year approached. Is it fair to say that support for the union waned to some extent as the strike went on? 
Yeah, I think that that is always normal in teacher strikes. Um, par- even parents that are able to care for their kids are frustrated that they're not in school. The kids are bored. They're you know they want to go back to school, and so it starts creating this um, you know cycle of frustration and anger and wanting to get back you know to normal. And so um, we really do see uh, see the see it wane, although it's more, I would say, for many people, uh, putting pressure for the two sides to settle. Um, you know, they want teach, they support teachers, they want them to get paid more, they don't want the district to go bankrupt. They want the people in power on both sides to figure it out. And that's what we saw here. And I'm, I'm guessing you're seeing that there as well. A strike, even at the start of school or in the middle of the school year, is always difficult. Uh, it doesn't really matter when a teacher strike occurs to a certain degree. It's always frustrating. The kids are always missing out. And it's always really hard on families. What do you think made the biggest difference in terms of the eventual deal that the two sides struck? Yeah, I think it was a number of things. I think that it became clear there were there were online petitions as the strike went on. There was a lot going on, uh, you know, pushback on the union, which you don't always see in strikes uh, that loud, as you pointed out. Um, and also the state superintendent got involved, came down, tried to uh, help mediate the situation. There was definitely a lot of attention on this strike. Um, it followed the Los Angeles strike. So there there's a lot of eyeballs on it. And ultimately, I think um, the the district really stood its ground saying we're not going to include these common good items. But they did say, you know, but but we can have outside agreements. We can create these little memorandums of understanding on those issues. And I think it was a way that everybody could save face and come to a deal um, without feeling like they had uh, completely given in. Hmm. For example, in the creation of a, a black reparations task force. I'm curious if you feel like you've seen if there have been repercussions this school year from the strike last school year. You know, I think it definitely there are the the hard feelings of strikes always linger. I think it did help that there was the summer break uh, to sort of ease people back in and forget a little bit, get a little amnesia about the anger and frustration. Um, but sure, you know, there's still hard feelings. There's still, um, I think, concerns about the stability of the district. Um, you know, the, the school board still has to figure out how they're going to pay for this uh, deal. And so they really are, um, we're seeing that. it's a, You know, there's going to be a, a fiscal hangover that they're going to have to deal with uh, in agreeing to these, you know, up to 22% raise. So, um, you know, but in addition, I think I think parents are still some parents are still frustrated that the teachers were willing to walk out and uh, and and lose more more instruction time. Um, you know, at one point, I think they they the district had had noted, I think it was a day before the strike had ended, that they had lost one point four one point four million hours of instruction. And and so when you when you when parents see things like that, when they realize that their kids lost more learning time, when they're already behind, um, you know, some of that lingers. And uh, I think there's still mistrust uh, of the district and the union. And 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 I'm, I think we're going to see that for a little while. Hmm. Meanwhile, it seems like you're still on the strike beat. Is there 
going to be a strike in San Francisco schools? Yeah, so uh, we got really close. They took a strike authorization vote that passed overwhelmingly with about 98% support of the of the teachers that voted. Um, and they were they were ready to go on strike. They'd been bargaining for a while. Um, again, it was based on unfair labor practice rather than going through the entire strike process. Um, and uh, but they came to an agreement uh, right at the end. Um, and in fact, the teachers are voting on that contract right now. And we should have news tomorrow tomorrow whether or not they have approved the tentative agreement. If they don't approve the tentative agreement, we are back to square one and on strike watch. So um, everybody, I think, has their fingers crossed that uh, San Francisco will avert a strike and, and kids will keep going to school here. Jill Tucker, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Jill Tucker is the education reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle.